Hey guys, Henning and Warden from Flip Normals here, and in today's video we have a very exciting guest with us. It is the most requested guest from our ask around from Who Should We Interview on YouTube, and it's Andrew Price, the Blender Guru. Hi Andrew. Hey Andrew. everybody, how's it going? <laughs> Thanks for requesting me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty it was pretty sort of like unanimous when we asked sort of like the community around who should we actually talk to. I think most people were like, well, Andrew for the lulls, but it's, <laughs> um, I think it's just because we've been moving more and more into Blender now as well. Um, so people were pretty excited to at least, you know, have you on and, and hear what you have to say. Yeah, and oh, no, a huge yeah. uh, congrats on reaching a million subs on your channel. That's uh Thank that's you, amazing. thank you. Happened a, happened a couple of days ago. My mom was more into it than me, I think. Like, she was like... <laughs> sending me like updates like it's almost there it's like, <laughs> nice. away. i'm like oh no i didn't know that yeah <laughs> but i uh, guess eventually but you know, yeah, just no, like cool. big numbers just become like they're just numbers mm. and uh like there's not that big of a difference from 998,000 to a million it's just sort of like i guess psychologically there's like oh my yeah. god a million yeah and i i don't know how much subscribers i have a theory with youtube that subscribers were necessary when youtube started because there was no recommendation algorithm or whatever mm. um but like yeah so you had to subscribe in order to tell youtube like yeah show me more of that video but now youtube knows what you want to watch better than you do so you like sometimes i even forget that i'm not subscribed to a channel because i keep getting their videos regardless because mm. it knows based on my watch history that it's going to get it so like the, the subscriber count is like still the figure that everyone uses as to like the size of a channel, but it's still like doesn't mean as much as it used to. So anyways, yeah, <laughs> I think, cool I think there's like maybe there's like some psychological effect in it. Uh, I know that YouTube puts less emphasis on it. They also try to hide it now. Um, yes. but I still think there's yeah. like, you know, people see, oh, my God, they have a million subscribers. That must be legit content. Otherwise, a million other people wouldn't have subscribed to it. But I definitely yeah. think YouTube puts less emphasis on it now. Yeah. So yeah. for people who yeah. uh, who aren't familiar with Andrew, <laughs> let's give a quick introduction to to what you're doing. So uh, uh, Andrew has been running uh, Blender Guru now for how long? Have you been doing it? Ten years? Yeah, too long. Ten years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you also have you also you're running your own company. Can you tell us just quickly a bit about that? Yeah, sure. So uh, so it's called Polygon. Polygon. For all your texture needs. Um, so basically, uh, I started Polygon three years ago because, um, yeah, I, I I wasn't happy with the existing textures that you could find online and how you had to, like this was back when no one offered maps, like normal maps, displacement maps, all that kind of thing. Mm. And uh, so I thought, why not just have a site where it's like textures, but it has all those maps included. So that was the basics of it. Um and yeah, so now we're, you know, getting into all sorts of stuff, substance files and models and photo scans and it's all, it's all very exciting. Uh, but yeah, Polygon, it's, uh, you can check it out at P-O-L-I-I-G-O-N if you haven't already heard of it. Nice. Yeah, you, you all should. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's been growing steadily over the last, well, how long have you been doing it now? Is it like three years? Yeah, three years. Three years, I think. Yeah, three and a half years since since we started mm. it in uh, in April. Yeah, nice. Of that year. That's cool. Yeah. So we were thinking in this chat here. We would we would just talk to you know the Blender Guru himself about about Blender. Uh, there's been so much happening over the last few years, in particular now with the two point eight version coming out. It's it's really interesting, like just hearing hearing like your perspective of, cool. Blender is awesome now. 
where do we go from here? Like, yeah. where, where, do, where do we actually take, like, where's Blender heading from here on? And mm-hmm. um, one of the key things here is it just got a lot of extra funding, like through Ubisoft, NVIDIA, AMD, and NVIDIA are fighting between who can do the most funding. <laughs> uh-huh. the most funding. Yeah. Bunch of, bunch of millions of dollars heading into this. So uh, where do you think this is, this is uh, leading? What are you going to do with all the millions they have now? Yeah, it's it's crazy how fast it happened. And I don't know specifically, I mean, it was obviously 2.8 was part mm. of it, but I, I, I'd i be interested to know what specifically it was that made all the companies go like, oh, let's go now. Like, like Blender's been there, like I've been using it for over 10 years, like 12 years, 12, 13 years. And it was always this fringe thing. It was like, it used to be the, the butt of the joke of like, the industry's doing their stuff. There's Max and there's Meyer and Lightwave and um, Soft Image, right? There was yeah. all those and they're doing their stuff. And then there's Blender and it's just like kicking a can down a road. Like, what's it doing? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and then it's now, it's just got all this funding from all these companies. And it just, and they just like one after the other, stacking on, stacking on. And I'm like, what is going on? It's fantastic, obviously. But it's like, yeah. I just, I'd be interested to know what it specifically was that they saw at their end. Um, that triggered it. I don't know. Uh, but what, what are they going to do with the money? That's a good question. Like something, uh, so Ton said part of it, or at least one of the initial grants was going to be used for operations, um, which is something that has been needed, like to go to scale up from, you know, where you are with like, I don't know, let's say a dozen developers mm. to scale up to like 30 to 50 um, anyone who's run a company knows that there are problems you have here that aren't problems here, but there are now more problems here that are different problems. So like in yeah. a company, that's why they say you need a CEO to take you from 30 people uh, to 300 people that somebody has done that previously because there's a lot of unique challenges that come in that space. So I think Blender has that. Like it's got like this small ragtag team of developers, of volunteers and things like that. But it was kind of getting a little crippled under the weight of like managing everything. Um, mm. And so I imagine, and I would hope that some of that money is going to be used to hire an experienced person to lead, um, lead operations, lead, lead development. Basically you need like a, a, a CPO, a chief product officer, somebody to, yeah, essentially like look at what developers are doing, set dev sprints, uh, set goals, set deadlines, um, and then do what you can to actually reach them. Um, that's what I would really love to see. Uh, and then other than that, I, I would also hope that they would use it for, uh, you didn't ask what, what, what I would hope they would use it for, but I'll tell you, <laughs> I, I would hope that they would use it for like, uh, like list, like looking, doing research within the 3d industry to find out what, what's on the horizon, where, where's the industry going to be in five to 10 years, what are the key problems that Blender has today? What what can be solved? What can't be solved? What are some things that we need to build? What are some things we need to go, let go of? Like basically thinking more like a commercial company, which the words commercial in Blender, Blender sounds like hearsay <laughs> and people people get very antsy at anything suggesting that a, uh, a corporate company might know some things, but they generally do, you know? So I, I would hope that Blender would, uh, would, yeah, do this sort of research and like, you know, proceduralism like that's pretty big that's that's not 
disappearing. It's going to ramp up. I think that software like Substance and Houdini, those took off because the industry needs them. Like the game industry needs, in order to make bigger infinite worlds, it can't build them by hand. It needs to be created procedurally. Yeah. And Blender kind of lacks in that area pretty severely right now. Um, so I would hope they would use part of that to like procedural stuff or whatever else is needed, video tracking, uh, camera tracking, if that needs an improvement or the video sequence editor, whatever it is that is smart for the community. I'd hope they'd kind of throw money at big problems that can't be solved by volunteers. So that was a long answer, but yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, we see like a lot of the stuff we see whenever we do a Blender video is people talking about sort of like the feature is set, you know, the, the suite that Blender is, like Blender can do everything. Um, do you think it's sort of, the goal with Blender and moving it forward, especially with the amount of funding that they're getting now, is that they're trying not to overtake, but sort of like become part of the commercial market, like come in and compete with Maya, come in and compete with Max or Cinema 4D. Is that sort of like the road they're heading? Because I've heard before that Blender is its own thing and it always wants to be its own thing. Like the industry does this, but Blender wants to do it its own way. But like, yeah, at least from our perspective, I think it's like, well, if you want to be part of an industry that has a set of rules and this is how we work, you still have to conform in some way to that. You can't just go, mm -hmm. well, I just want to do my own thing and get into the industry. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. So there was, uh, oh, I can't remember when Ton said it, but but Ton said Blender is for Blender users once and that was yes. not ridicule, but people were like, what? Really? Blender is for Blender users. What does that mean? It sounds like you're kind of giving your finger to anyone who says Blender could improve to mm -hmm. look more like Max or Maya, you know. So I think there's a there's a good point there in that the industry, like just because something is industry standard doesn't automatically make it the right way. No, right? no, definitely. For example, ZBrush. Yeah. A lot of things that ZBrush does in its sculpting workflow makes yeah. no sense and should absolutely be thrown out. <laughs> I'm sure you guys know much more about it than I do, but my limited experience is that ZBrush has succeeded despite so many things yeah, that yes. should have guaranteed its failure. <laughs> yeah, but like you can, because like we've made tons of videos uh, ranting about the horrible user experience, uh, pipeline <laughs> integration with ZBrush, but the advantage that ZBrush kind of had was like in terms of competition, uh, like ZBrush was kind of the first. Yeah, you have 3D code on the side, which is also kind of like a fringe software. Uh, you yep. have Mudbox, which never really got any updates after like the first no. couple of years. So I think ZBrush kind of just won by default there. And then people were like, oh, well, I mean, the sculpting's pretty good in this, so we'll just continue to use that. Whereas the challenges that I feel Blender faces is that there's a lot of 3D software out there that solves a lot of the same problems so like in order for it to come in and be a viable option for companies it's like it's not that it has to do something different it just has to like yeah like i'm i'm, I'm just not entirely sure what it where it can go like what does it need to offer in order to get there yeah i i totally agree um in in a way it's surprising that blender has done as well as it has when you consider how much money autodesk has yeah. um <laughs> It's pretty crazy that, yeah. uh, but here's the thing. I don't think that I, I was looking at Autodesk financials and like, like the entertainment <laughs> division, which is Max and Maya mm. makes up such a small percentage yeah, of their, tiny. their revenue. And I think it was like less than 5%, 5, 5, 10%, something like that. Like it's almost entirely AutoCAD and like, 
the industrial design manufacturing industries that make up the bread and butter of Autodesk. So yeah. I kind of don't blame them for just like resting on their laurels, um, <laughs> which is perhaps how Blunder was able to rise amongst it because it's like any development was better than none yeah. in the industry. Um, but like you guys saw the uh, Houdini 18 release oh, yeah. video. It looks fantastic. Uh, like Houdini does this every year. Like yeah. every year there's a new yeah. release. Like it's it blows my mind every year. Yeah, exactly. They are just like doing everything right they are going hard yeah and uh that's that's what i would see as more of a question of like could blender compete with max and maya yeah probably i think it already is winning mm. in a lot of ways could yeah. it compete with houdini i don't know those guys are just doing everything yeah. the right way yeah um and they seem to be they also have that geeky side of like doing things correctly. I, I feel like the way things are built is like kind of nerdy and like programmer style, yeah. <laughs> which is what Blender's really based off of well. As like, it started out as like just programmer friendly, like who cares about the user experience? And it was horrible when I when I started using it. And that was always the defense, like, oh, it was, you know, it's made by developers and like, you got to go through this hazing ritual, this ring of fire in order to learn <laughs> Blender, right? Um, but and people said that it was better off for it because it was like you know built built to do things better or whatever but like houdini's got that to like 10 10x yeah. i just feel like the houdini workflow i feel like whenever i see one of their videos i'm like like cracking open open a portal and like looking 10 years into the future of the, <laughs> the industry it's like that's where 3d software is going to be in 10 years from now yeah, but that's why we've given people the yeah. advice that like, hey, I want to get into the industry or how should I prepare for it? A lot of the times what we talk about is you should probably start looking into Houdini. It doesn't matter like if you like it basically doesn't matter which part of the pipeline you're in. There's always things you can procedurally do in Houdini to optimize your mm -hmm. workflow. And I know a lot of the studios out there, like especially the bigger studios, they look for people with Houdini experience because most of the time they can like even if you're a texture artist, OK, you just plug in something that you made in substance and then you make it even better in Houdini. Um, so there's a lot of need for that. Yeah, I think it's very dangerous mm. if uh, Blender is, or the people who's taking the future of the of Blender seriously here, if they're trying to defeat Houdini, like we're talking about, right? We they can probably get into, uh, they can probably convert a lot of Max and Maya users, mm. Moto users, and all that, because the, there's so much, there's so much overlap. A lot yeah. of that is basic asset creation, mm. do UV mapping, do some simple animation, light render it out, and all that. But the moment you're talking about effects, like you're not beating Houdini, like you're not beating like mm. 10% mm. of Houdini. It literally has a 20 years leap ahead of it. Sure, you can, you can set fire <laughs> to donuts and monkey heads and all that kind of stuff in Blender, but that's not effects. Like that's like that's like the first, the, the tip of the tip of effects. Yeah. If you want to, if you want to really go into that, it's not about can you set fire to this monkey head. It's can you specifically art direct every single particle in an incredibly mm -hmm. optimized way, and can you export this back and forth between katana and moto and whatever software it is you want to use. Yeah. So I think it's really dangerous if you're trying to push Blender into a direction where you're competing against something like that. Like then you're jumping into an ocean full of sharks and. <laughs> It's a very tiny software for that. Yeah, I totally agree. I I and I don't actually think uh, Ton wants to compete with uh, with who. I, I don't even think he's used the term compete. I, I, I don't. He he sees what Blender's doing as separate to the industry, mm. which 
is odd because there's also this celebration of you know new users and always yeah. making fun of Macs and all that kind of thing. So it's like they do definitely have their eye on the industry and they love it when it's succeeding and there's more studios using it. But also they don't care if uh, if Blender isn't doing something that the other people in the industry are. So I think like it's kind of the I don't know the the key problem with uh, with open source projects is it's like the reason that simulations aren't as good in Blender as Houdini is there isn't anybody that enthusiastic about it to to work on it. Mm. Like Blender got smoke simulations like 2009. Um, and I mean, it has improved. Maybe it's got a little bit of multi-threading perhaps. I think it got that wavlet kind of thing added to it so you can add more detail. But beyond that, not much, right? Just not much. Whereas Houdini is just like, everything it'll do everything um so why has that happened well it, yeah there's just this hasn't been anyone i think interested in it and if, if you ask ton this like why isn't the smoke simulation improved he would say ah oh, well somebody needs to do it which is uh frustrating when you're used to as a user talking to the owner of a software and presenting ideas of like we need to fix this thing <laughs> get your get get your team on it and it's like ah, oh, well it's a community thing who yeah. wants to develop it? It's like, I don't know. I'm not a developer. <laughs> so it requires, uh, you know, and I'm not saying it's wrong. It's like, it's just, it's open source. That's the way things are. Uh, <laughs> but it is, I don't know where I'm going with this point. Yeah, but Anyways. Like, no, no, I, I get it because it's, it's actually something that Henning and I talked about for a bit where we were talking about different implementations of things and like, okay, Blender has support for cryptomets, which just seems random. It was like, okay, of all things, there's cryptomets. I mean, cryptomets are amazing. But then you look at something like Alembic support. Well, there's only a specific subset of Alembic settings that are actually implemented in Blender. Well, that was because a company needed Alembic support and they just developed what they needed and gave the rest to the community. And there you end up with a feature that's not fully fledged out for you know, the masses, but it's still implemented in Blender. And therefore, when you have these sort of, I'm not going to call them half-assed solutions because this solution was perfect for whatever company was using it, but you end up with maybe some incomplete solutions that reflect worse on it than it really should, where it's like, well, it technically has Alembic support, it's just not very good. Yeah, if um, if Maya were to develop Alembic support when they did it, they were thinking about how can this be used in every single scenario, and you would QA a QA it just like crazy. Does yeah. this work? In, can you hide, unhide? Can you import from every single software and everything there? Well, the implementation Blender might be this worked in exactly what we needed. Yeah, let's just get yeah. that into the software, and that's a lot better than not having anything at all. Of course, but it's also very frustrating when you you kind of rely on the feature and now you suddenly oh crap it can do half of what you actually thought it could do because yeah. if you look at something like that like it's a boring topic right alembic support who cares you care if you're moving data between software and then if you see that maya has it cool and blender has it are awesome now you just assume it's the same implementation but in reality there it's like night and day between the two yeah. but it's not like you can't really fault blender for it because then now you're criticizing the alembic support which is not great but the comparison will be if if you were if you didn't have it you wouldn't criticize it yeah so it's it's like it's better than not having it but because of it, it you give it more shit for it yeah yeah exactly it's a tricky one mm. yeah i didn't yeah and because there's also the argument to make that actually 
having a crappy feature is worse than having no feature. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is which is a point you made. Yeah, I, I don't know. This is I, I guess it's getting into like product product strategy and like <laughs> this is the kind of thing that like a product officer is good at. You know, yeah. head of head of product. Um, Blender Blender the software is the product. How do you make it the best for its users? Um, and yeah, it's a little it's a little open the air. As for the yeah, like corporations developing features, Cryptomat was actually another one mm. um, developed by tangent animation for their film um what was the name of that film was that a netflix one the netflix one what was it called yeah I can't next remember. gen i think it was called next gen yeah okay. so they yeah. made cryptomat for that uh which is why why that one's in there and uh i guess alembic as well yeah i i don't know i i, I don't have a unfortunately like a lot to say about it because i mean i i don't know a terrible amount of like Because like everything I want to say about it is like Blender shouldn't be succeeding with with the way it's going about it, but it is right. Like just kind of like a hodgepodge of ideas. Like like it's open, literally, yeah. it's open source, and anyone can contribute. And I don't know how that how that works. Like how do you even stop somebody from just like adding crap into it if it's an open code base? I don't know. It's it's just like out in the open. So the only things that I can ever say about it is like from a user point of view. As if I was criticizing it, like as if I was subscribed to an Adobe suite, mm. I would say this. I would say they need to put money mm. here. They need to develop this. They need to, you know, crack the heads of the developers and say, what are you doing? You know, but it's yeah. like, no, it's an open source project. So it's like, you should fix it. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just like because it's an open source project, like, you know, we've just collectively agreed that the Blender Foundation organization, they are the ones that like they're they're the central figures that control whatever gets distributed uh, because it's open source like okay worst case scenario what could happen is like someone forks off blender because it's open source they decide to set up their own company blender not foundation and then they continue from there okay people <laughs> like blender not foundation better and therefore they start supporting that you know that is also like that's the nature of open source we've just all sort of like collectively agreed that the blender the blender people they're the ones that are they have the blender's best interest at heart basically so yes. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. The whole the whole forking thing. I actually uh, I looked into that once because yeah. um, back <laughs> in 2011, no, 12, 13, something like that. I put together this big campaign about how crappy the user interface was for Blender and yeah. how it just did everything backwards for no reason. <laughs> I made this video called uh, "Why It's Broken" or something like that. It was like a two-part series, no, three parts. And then the third part was I made a user mock-up of what I imagined the interface would be. And it was mm. this huge storm of just angry comments online, <laughs> just like from people that are both like fighting each other, people that agreed with it and then people that hated it and thought the yeah. Blender should be the way it was. And uh, yeah, I, I was looking at, because I was so frustrated with the discussion of uh, some key developers who I thought had were making some very crucial mistakes and despite best discussions, just wasn't happening. So I was looking at like, how can you, you could fork Blender. You could fork Blender. <laughs> I was like, you could fork it. I could make my own Blender. And then, uh, yeah, I spoke to a developer and, and he was 
very strongly advising me not to do that. Um, so, <laughs> which is a good a good thing because that would have just been a nightmare. I wouldn't have started Polygon. I wouldn't have had Blender Guru channel. I would have spent all my time uh, trying to prove somebody wrong. <laughs> just be angry in a basement somewhere. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you could. Yeah, if you if you if you're not happy with Blender development, you can take it and go blend it whatever the next yeah. blender come up with your own name just like uh yeah i here's the thing i don't know much about open source but like there's the linux world right you mm. could there's all the different linux distributions yeah i yeah. guess there could be in the future several blender distributions yeah i mean that's totally a possibility especially with more and more companies coming on board like i could see like with ubisoft for example them using it for their little um animation department uh like that's going to be a fork for them. Like they're going to fork it off in a way that like they customize a lot of things, make sure that it works. And then obviously they're going to give some back to the community. But like, I would imagine that's sort of like a fork for them where they can try and implement some things that get pushed out, but they probably want more control over everything in Blender, I would assume. Oh, right. You think that you, you reckon that Ubisoft would be making a fork? Yeah, but not a not a publicly available one, but something yeah. that they have more control over in their environment. Because like, you just yeah, I mean, you need like, it doesn't have to be like okay, it's it's officially forked off. It's just like this is the version that we're running with, and then occasionally I think they're gonna take in updates um, that has been pushed out uh, from Blender. Mm -hmm. At least if you're going into like the bigger bigger like in, in a bigger pipeline there, like yeah, at least in all the big VFX studios, the version you're seeing of Maya can be quite different from what you have. For modeling, it's still very vanilla, but there are so many tools you just need in terms of pipeline and yeah. and just features which are needed. New deformers you have, new modeling tools, new UV tools, whatever it might be. So it's like if Maya was open source, all the big studios would have forked the living crap <laughs> out of it like yeah. years ago and just kept oh, on using that. Oh yeah, right. Because you just need so many things and you, you need them right now you can't wait for like a three-month version of it it's mm. way quicker just to have your r&d department just whip up some some quick c plus plus or whatever programming <laughs> i don't know <laughs> yeah programming. yeah <laughs> which i guess actually kind of makes sense yeah why 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 some uh companies are now throwing money at blender because yeah if if i would imagine that what you just explained like with maya being if you're restricted to a closed source system and you need so many things that it doesn't have, yeah. Uh, yeah, you just have to, the companies would be losing money on all these workarounds when if you had open access to the code, you could fix it and save money for the company. So yeah, I guess I guess if companies can finally see Blender as like, yeah, we could actually do stuff with this, um, the open open platform. Because yeah, I, I don't know much about the studio the studio life and like how much individual hackery goes on you guys would know a lot more like how was There's it a lot of individual at, uh, hackery <laughs> yeah i mean like if you if you look at maya in production yeah it's still the skin maya but like the suite of tools that they've developed for it i mean you have you have complete applications that run inside of maya like something let's say shock shot sculpting for example which is where you know you make animation you have your simulation on top of everything then you need someone to shot sculpt it to correct whatever intersections that are there like it's very common for studios to have a shot sculpting tool and a lot of the times that's a full application that's running inside of maya using the maya libraries like it's it's running in the viewport it's using the maya sculpt brushes and uh, the soft select tools to sort of like tweak things whereas i think if it was open source you'd have a 
better access because like the APIs don't give you access to everything necessarily. So mm -hmm. some things are restricted. Right. Um, it's also why it's a nightmare for studios to actually upgrade the versions as well. Like we were talking about this and why isn't Blender industry standard yet? And one of the reasons is that the studios, they, well, this is not a Blender thing, but the studios, they never update the latest version. So you might be two versions behind. So just because 2.8 came out now, uh, I would never ever use it in a big production. Not no. yet, because it's been out for like, I don't know, three months or something. Like I would need the, yeah. to get stress tests like crazy and, you know, fixing all the little leaks here and there, like all the water going into the boat. Because <laughs> uh, that's just that's just the way it is with any software. Yeah, I mean, what you do is you stick with the version of Maya that you start a production with and you start a film. That's the version that you end with. Yeah, um, yeah. you have R&D coming in and developing specific tools for it. But you might be on the same Maya version for maybe three or four years. Because even when you go to the next show, they might still feel like, well, we don't know how things perform in the next version of the software. So we'll stick to the version that we know. Which can be frustrating because especially, I mean, Maya's, Maya's development is pretty stagnant now in terms of features. They're mostly looking at optimization. But when they were... What about Bifrost? That's pretty big, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Uh, there are there are a few huge new features which are coming in. I'm not sure how much of this is developed and how much of this is software they've bought and kind of thrown into it. Because that's where you've seen a lot of stuff when it comes to the big software. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're not natively yeah, developing right. it. They are using the power of the purse and then <laughs> throwing it in there, which is something that obviously like Blender Blender can't do. You can't just you can't just buy a software and, and steal their features. You can't just like Blender couldn't buy substance. <laughs> and oh, then right. and just start to scavenge those features. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought Bifrost was... Um, it looks like Houdini inside Maya, like a procedural yes. modeling and effects tools. I don't know if you guys have played so I think, much with... Uh, do they I don't use know, I, I, Bifrost as well for the new motion graphics tools? Do you know? I don't actually know. But I know a lot of riggers are looking into it as yeah, well. Yeah. Riggers, effects, I mean, there's a lot modeling. of... There's just a lot of... of fluid sim stuff yeah. being shown with Bifrost uh, but it was like right. I think they, they pushed it out like a couple of years ago like the last couple of years as far as I, I'm aware like Maya hasn't really received that big upgrades it's mostly performance like animation yeah. and making it faster um, yeah but yeah Bifrost was pretty cool I haven't played around with it but it looks pretty awesome I think what yeah. like to bring back to what you, what you were asking about the Forender, like why is it? Why are the companies interested in Blender like right now? And I think one of the big things is honestly 2.8. This is really what put it on our radar. Yeah. You know, we've been trying it beforehand, and then you open it up and you you can't do anything in like <laughs> first thirty <laughs> do minutes. Do I right click or do I left? Yeah, click? <laughs> it's been such a frustrating experience. Where obviously you should spend more time and you know getting into it, but when you first experience, it's just rage. Yeah. If you open up Cinema 4D, for instance, you know, are probably going to be able to start navigating and working with stuff right away but in blender it was just it was just rage but now with uh, 2.8 for me 2.8 is mostly like a ux upgrade mostly like a user experience one of course there are a lot of new features here and there but it it's just so much easier to use yeah and i think this has been a, a big hurdle for it up to this point so now that it's it's a lot easier to use and more people coming into the field i think it i think it can become a pretty serious tool for for a lot of smaller studios and particularly freelancers yeah like if you're a freelancer today and you're and you're spending a lot of money just to have maya's modeling tool <laughs> yeah. i mean blender can do basically just this good job there so I think I think two point eight has been a huge leap up for it. What yeah. do you what do you think about mm -hmm. that, Ander? Like how has how has two point eight been how has two point eight pushed Blender forward? 
Yeah, I, I can definitely notice the, uh, you know, left and right click, uh, that being a huge one, <laughs> which, by the way, was like a yeah. key point that I put years ago in my Blender's UI is terrible presentation. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I even did like a survey at the end. I was like, who here agrees Blender should be left click slight? And it was 90%. <laughs> but then development was still like nah and then i got like really mad i was like come on it's it's a no-brainer you know but anyways yeah. anyways um yeah i think i think that that is definitely definitely uh a, a part in just like that as you said like that hurdle you know like stepping into a restaurant like tripping over a step it's like who put the step there i'm out you know it's like yeah. just a yeah. frustrating experience uh, they just removed the step. So it's like, oh, that's nice. It's a little smoother. Um, I think the hotkeys, like that was terrible as well. Everything was hotkey based. You had to like almost like learn how to play the piano to like figure out where every, like how to do this, how to do that. Yeah. Whereas now at least there's the simple uh, transform, rotate, scale, those tools, as well as when you're in modeling, there's all the tools there in the toolbar. Um, that's probably helped as well. I think workflows, yeah, the little tabs, that probably helps it look more like a professional application. And then, uh, yeah, I think probably the, the EV rendering mm. was probably a big part of it as well because people kind of saw it now as like, yeah, like it's kind of like Marmoset in <laughs> free software that is like yeah. a full package. It's not just a renderer. So it's like that kind of probably tipped people over to like, okay, let's 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 play around with this. So. I think those those parts, but again, like it, it, I I don't have the industry experience. So from like my perspective, all I know is Blender. So I don't mm. actually know what it is people are most thrilled about. I can only speculate. Um, but I don't know. In, in you guys, when you opened up Blender for the this two point eight version for the first time, like what was it that you that surprised you in a good way? And then also jumping off that, what were you surprised that it didn't have or features it was lacking? Well, it's like, I think, because I, I used Blender for a little bit when it was still 2.7.9. Maybe it was 2.7.8. I don't know. It was many years ago. Um, but I mostly used it for UVing because the UV tools there were actually better than the ones in Maya. And But then I completely sort of like forgot about it again. And then once 2.8 came out, it was like, it was just, it just looked refreshing. Like for me, I'm, I mean, it sounds horrible to say as well, but like, so much of the user experience for me when I use software, like if I buy software, like for my Mac or something, I most of the time buy it based on what it looks like. I mean, yeah, features are important as well, but I'm very visual. So it's like if it looks, if it looks bad, which I think the previous versions of Blender did, I don't think it looked good. Like the viewport shading, yeah, I mean, you could probably customize and all that, but just like from the outside, I didn't feel like it looked good. So that was very off-putting for me. Um, oh, and then, right. and then in terms of like very superficial, kind very of very that. superficial, yeah. <laughs> um, but then getting into Blender, uh, like with two point eight now, the the fact that there are menus, it's it's like sort of like the three D software that I've been used to using, that made the transition a lot easier for me and just a lot more enjoyable. But I am curious, sort of in terms of how it's actually changed because the more and more i've been using blender the more you still it still feels like it feels like a skin that was put on top of seven nine uh, of course there's like a lot of changes but i can't speak to okay specifically how does it feel like going for 
from 2.79 to 2.8 having not used the previous version for you know many many years that's where i'm sort of like mm. curious what has it been like to transition to that yeah one thing i find very frustrating as well is that like it is it is still a bit like learning to play to play the piano like it's it's a lot less hotkey based from what i can tell but if you haven't used it for a little bit uh you might start to forget how to actually use it because there's so many things which are just intuitively hotkey based where in other software a lot of things is there is it's in the interface you can of course you can still find everything in the interface in blender but it's not it's still made for for hotkeys so if you haven't particularly we've been pretty new to it if you haven't used it for a few weeks you're like how the hell did i do the thing and you kind of like you kind of intuitively just like feel the keyboard now like <laughs> that was the case yeah but in maya you you just bring up like a marking menu and you just you just see where all the tools are it's it's a lot easier for me to go back mm. to maya after six months than it would be in in blender just because it's still like yeah. the, oh now i haven't played a piano for four yeah. like six months now yeah exactly yeah like one of the one of the arguments that i've seen a lot has been like uh blender is a lot easier to learn compared to maya or max and like i'm, I'm curious about that because like we come into blender trying to learn blender with 13 <laughs> years of experience in 3d so it's like uh, like i used max for like four or five years i've used maya for even more i've used cbrush for a long time as well so i'm very familiar with the language of 3d um and i spent about a month full time almost just getting around blender and seeing how many features that i could get into and from my perspective Blender is not easier to learn. It's as complicated as the other 3D softwares because there's just as much in there. There's no sort of like, um, like it's more accessible because it's free. But I think in terms of complexity, it's still it still ranks the same as any you know full suite 3D software for me. Mm. And they all have all all software also have the quirks as well. Yeah. Like when you come into Blender, you're like oh man, there are many hotkeys here. And you come into um, and when you go, go from Max to Maya, you're like, where's the modifier stack? Yeah. Same if you were to go to Blender to to Maya, you'd be like, where the hell is modifier stack? I got to rethink the way I'm working now yeah, because yeah. it's so different. So it's always tricky switching software, but I totally agree. I don't think at all it's an easier software to learn. It's it's just as frustrating as any other software. And that's just a fact. Like when you are learning new software, it's always frustrating. Like there is no way to go about that. Yeah. You mm-hmm. can't make something intuitive just like by default if you if you do that then you're simplifying it too much and you don't won't have the depth of the features yeah but uh, mm. i felt i felt the same as you where it felt like it felt like like first opening up it felt like a very new software like a very modern software then you start to look into it and it feels it feels like an old software an old quirky software in for good and bad but with a very modern skin assigned to it but i think mm. the feature i enjoy the most uh, by far is eevee because everything else you had in Blender is some, something we could already do. Like all the modeling and all the kind of stuff. There was nothing I couldn't do in Maya in the same amount of speed. Yeah, like the primary things that we do. Yeah, know, exactly. Obviously, right. there's a lot of features in Blender that we haven't yeah, exactly. seen in other software. Exactly. But, but for me personally, the one thing I, I couldn't do in other software, that was Eevee. Yeah. Where you can model straight in like a real-time viewport, which is just amazing. Yeah. And that actually changed you when working. And I'm realizing that Blender for me is probably the best concept and tool i've ever used because of eevee and then because of cycles as well in 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 the viewport you can just block things out so quickly you have a plane you throw on a displacement modifier you throw some noise in there suddenly you have an environment uh, and you can just quick change the cinematography of it right yeah, away yeah. add the change the lighting in a second change the materials and all that it doesn't have the depth of the software like if you need to be incredibly specific with your result 
it doesn't it doesn't offer that but if you want to get up to like 60 70 80 percent really really quickly i don't think there is any other software out there which which can do that just because of ev mm. so that's probably the feature i enjoyed the most mm. by far like just how intuitive it is to do like look development in it and come up with ideas yeah but if you're comparing it yeah. like one-to-one with what we're used to, where we have all the specificity and all the control and everything there, then it's very frustrating. But when I started considering it more as a concepting tool and like an idea creation tool, then it was like a switch going off in my head. And this also seems true uh, with how other people see it as well. I know that Frame Store, the art department, they're looking into using Blender more and more there uh, because it's so intuitive. They're not looking for the specific light link, make this light here affect only this object here they're more like can we have 30 different versions of this design yeah. in like a day yeah. and we need to light it and shade it as well and then center off the 3d printing for that it's just i don't think there is anything which is even remotely close like not even zbrush because you don't still mm. have rendering in there so <laughs> not even 3d wow. <laughs> yeah yeah, so that, that's what I would say. It's, uh, was really, it was really interesting for me, just realizing just how good it is for idea creation. Yeah, that's that's something that's been surprising for me too, like uh, just seeing the amount of concept art that you see on ArtStation that's using Blender now. Yeah, yeah. And there's like courses and Gumroad and like these top concept artists that are, that are using Blender. And it, it, yeah, it makes perfect sense when you think about it because it's like for like concept artists don't need to do the really high end stuff they are in a way they're using it as a basic jumping off point so they 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 don't going to care about a limbic system or a no, no. fancy simulation system or you know in-depth sculpting tools they just need to get like base formations yeah. as a like because they get perspective for free as opposed yeah. to drawing it from hand so it's like yeah it makes perfect sense just throw some blocks in there uh throw some light in to see where the shadow falls and then you're done so yeah i totally and then also yeah it's free which is very attractive to a concept artist who doesn't need a full feature set they just need to do basic stuff so yeah it it does make perfect sense to me yeah what's your like i'm I'm curious the transition for you like going because obviously you used to blender for a long time like what's been sort of like a seasoned veterans perspective on transitioning from the previous version to this um i know you did a hugely popular video about like why blender 2.8 was a big deal but i'm curious like from mm. your perspective like for you how do you feel that it's been a nice change or whatever kind of change it's been i think it was i think it was a little jarring when i first switched over just because the interface had changed so much yeah. um and the hotkeys didn't work anymore for a lot of things um oh, so different so, hotkeys. what's that so they there's like different hotkeys in, in 2.8 as well like a lot of those yeah, like for example, um, when you were modeling or you're doing something, W used to be a common hotkey, a random hotkey, but it was basically <laughs> almost like a right-click menu. Um, okay. And that, of course, is now the actual right-click, as it should be. But still, today, I still hit that W key, <laughs> and it actually that W key now changes the selection type to be like circle oh, yeah. or box or something. So you always hit it, and then you end up with this circle around your cursor, and you go, ah! damn it um (laughs) but other than that like i remember yeah like i remember it being a little jarring and there were things that i didn't like just because they were different and i had to remind Mm. myself that that was the reason i didn't like them um because i saw people online that were there was even like memes about it like how hard it was to jump over to 2.8 and people said it was just hard and it was just difficult and and people were criticizing it saying that that's obviously wrong 
and <laughs> I had to like jump in a couple of times and a couple of tweets and go like, why is it wrong though? If if the answer is just it doesn't feel intuitive enough, it's probably just because you're not you're used to the old method, which yeah. isn't a real reason. It's gonna take you a week to familiarize yourself with it, and then the old way will seem the wrong way. So, mm. um, yeah, I, I just you know I, I expected that a new interface would have that hurdle, and uh, within about a week I was over it. And then jumping back to two point seven nine because there were some things because I was using the alpha version, so some things weren't in there yet. Oh. That was just a nightmare. Like I was <laughs> just amazed at how I was able to bear with this terrible old old system <laughs> so uh yeah it and i had the same reactions you guys had like things just looked more polished yeah. like uh, i don't know like anti-aliasing or something like everything had this smooth feel <laughs> so i got like a 4k monitor so it's like everything was like crisp the text and like the, the the all these extra shading options and like things were cleverly put in a menu where you'd want them to and hidden out of the way when they're not Whereas previously it was just like everything was on display, like a 747 cockpit and it was just daunting. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, like it, it, I had that reaction where it was just like things feel simple and, and nicer. So uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I cannot go back and uh, I'm glad it's made all the changes that it has for sure. So definitely a change for the better. Well, that's good to hear because like it's it's from our perspective, you know, we have like one data point, which is like, well, I mean, 2.8 works pretty great now. Mm. So, yeah, it's good to hear. If you're looking for training or high quality assets, make sure to stop by the Flip Normals Marketplace. And if you're interested in supporting us by buying our merchandise, you can check that out in the description below.